welcome back to another episode of Going Through the Motions with me, Callum. And me, Alex. How's it going, guys? The podcasting equivalent of meeting your hero, but he's tired and he doesn't really want to chat to you. He's just... Oh, that's not what happened. Of course, not. that's not what happened. Come on, he was, he was, he was very, he was, he was so polite actually. He was, he was so lovely, but you could just tell he was like, "Yep." Oh yeah, it's an, it was, it was so lovely. Actually. It's an interesting one. So yeah, I would be, I would be exactly the same. I know it's so, it's so interesting. No, but it was really cool. We went to the cinema last week and we met bloody Brett Goldstein. Yeah, of, it was very. It was, it was, it was so funny, wasn't it? Yeah, of um. Films to be buried with podcast fame, also on Ted Lasso, of which he's bloody brilliant in that. He's mm. so funny. Derek um, was one of his um his sort of big standout roles um as well. I think that was one of his breakout roles to the sort of yeah. I didn't the house, the I didn't name. see Derek. I didn't see Derek. Derek. I think one of the first things I saw him in quite seriously was a uh, I think it was either a Capaldi or a Jodie Whittaker episode of Doctor Who. Mm. And he was a guy. Oh, on, he was, was a guy Jody on a Whittaker, yeah. he was a guy on a spaceship. Yeah, yeah, but he, to, to, but I mean, it was the way I say hero is that he's such a film nerd, and he, and is, he, isn't he? he loves his films, and it was a little, it was a little gem when we when we finished coming out of the cinema, and uh, I think you you spotted him. Yeah, I, I, I spotted him because he passed he, he passed me going into the lavies, and then I kind of did a double uh, a, a double take. I was like, is that, is that Brett Goldstein? And then I came out, I came out to see. I was like, I think I just saw Brett Goldstein, and then we and then we spent about. 10 well, minutes being really creepy and going is it Goldstein? I think it's Brett Goldstein. Well it I didn't mean, help that we were certainly walking exactly has the eyebrows. The, it uh, didn't <laughs> help that we were exactly walking the same way as him and we were walking downstairs and then he held the door open for me and I was like well there we go I'm going to say it. Yeah. You just, are you Brett Goldstein? And he was, uh, yeah, he was very lovely. Yeah. So yeah I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I> <laughs> he was a lot more Roy Kent than I thought he would be. Yeah um, I know it's funny on his podcast he's got this really kind of light chirpy voice but then Roy Kent is like so much <laughs> why not I love it, what I, I love what it. I but he was charming he, he was, was charming. no he was and what was funny was I said um I said, oh, we, you know, we're watching t- season two of Ted Lasso. Um, and he says, oh, good. And then I says, oh, I, I asked him, what do you think of the movie? And he's like, yeah, it's good. It's good. And he says, what do you think? And I was like, oh, it's a lot of blood. And I hope that he doesn't think I meant Ted Lasso. I think, I hope he meant that, I th- I hope he didn't think, there's not any blood in Ted Lasso, you fucking idiot. Yeah. There's only blood in that movie. But, um, yeah, no, no, I'm sure good. he knew that you meant the Suicide Squad. Which is so he's coming on, so he's coming week, on the show it? next week. So yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah. We, managed to, <laughs> we managed to make him an awful we can't refuse. We just stood in front of the parking ticket machine so he couldn't park his car Absolutely. until he would come on. <laughs> I'm like, I'll eat your parking ticket. Um, <laughs> you were you were really quick to swipe out of his hands as well. I was distracting him. You just yeah, got yeah. it. Yeah. He'd, uh, he didn't have a chance to escape, which was really really good. Um, how have you been? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. life's <laughs> back to normal, isn't it? Kind I mean, of. We're going to the cinema. You've got oh, concerts so coming good. up. It's so good to just go back to the cinema, and I kind of feel like everything's coming out now as well. Mm. You know, we went to see Old last week, The Suicide Squad this week. I'm definitely, regardless of if we're do if we're doing it on the podcast or not, I'm going to see Jungle Cruise because it just oh, look God. it oh it just looks like fun. Stop being such a little blur. It's it's, it's like, it, it looks like fun. It does. Mm, 
Stop They've it. got you. They've got you. Nah, stop it. It's fun. They've got you. Dis- Disney have got you. Disney know. Disney know. They're just. They. They'll just. They'll just ring you in whenever. Po- you just. They just pick you up and drop you like you're just one of their merry men. You and Mickey and Donald. The yeah, lot yeah, of yeah. you. They Love just. They just. You're. You're. Whenever they just need an extra person, Donald's like, just send Alex a text. He, we know he'll come along. We don't really want him for his company, uh. but we just know that he'll come and see whatever nah mate like, you're this. just a snob you're you're just a snob <laughs> it's um apparently it's doing quite well though yeah no it's doing doing really well i think i think probably what you because of what you were alluding to which was the kind of catch-all kind of family audience sort of mm. uh mold of it but it, it it looks a lot of fun and i showed elham a trailer as well and she thinks it looks a lot of fun as well so i think we're gonna go see it Ah, very, very good. Well, I'll come and see Suicide Squad again with you. Well, I'm uh, not going to go and see that again. Why not? Oh, I don't we want to. We will um, get into this. We will get um, into this. It was, it was delightful. I'm, I mean, I guess let's go because we are not a Jungle Cruise podcast celebrity. <laughs> oh, I was going to say special celebrity, but oh, that's, I, mean, that's I guess much which one's worse? Uh, no, Jungle. No, we're definitely not a Jungle Cruise. In fact, I've heard you've heard it here first. We are not a Jungle Cruise podcast. Right. We are, of course, a music of music of music. I keep saying. Yeah, you if do. I say, it's the other if one. I say, if I, but if I say music, Jesus. Oh, you've got yourself in the right state now, haven't you? We are, of course, a music. It. If I say music in movies podcast, it works. But if I say a music of I default back to the word music. Yeah. And I just did it there twice. I'm not even going to take it out. No. No, music, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Music. We are a music of movies. Pod, done it. Music of movies podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nearly tripped that second time. It, it, Do you not usually it, say and? Do you not no, usually I say know. and? Music and movies. Are we? But this is the thing. I was having this. Someone asked me this the other day. They were like, what are you? Is it a music? Oh, my God. Are we <laughs> a movie music podcast? Yeah. Music appearing in movies podcast. What are we? We're kind of having a bit of an identity crisis um, this last couple of seconds because I've noticed this as well, that, that we're obviously referring referring to the movie as the movie, as the release, yeah. but the music in this was, um, it was... It was interesting because it was kind of a mix of the James Gunn jukebox-esque. There was obviously... Um, there was scored music, which we'll, we'll get into as well. Yeah. I, I didn't... But th- that wasn't this movie. This was this is our review of this movie, isn't it? And the music's in the because I think next week we're going to jump back to on the we've got the email. We're going to go back to a classic, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. I think so, so. We've done a lot of hot releases recently. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, well, we hope you enjoy it. So this is going to be our review with a musical spin on James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Alex, yeah. what did you think of this movie? I had a great time watching this movie. It was so yeah. much so much fun. Yeah. I mean, we, I was I had a, I've had a busy week this week. I've been burning the candle at both ends for a few events um, in the evenings, and this was midweek. This we did we watched this right in the middle of the week, and I told you at the time. I remember I was phoning you as I was walking towards this. It only hit me 
uh, on the Wednesday when we went to watch it, how excited I actually was oh, you to were watch pr- this. You were proper giddy going into it as well. You were like shaking. It was like you just you were on a sugar rush or something but, like that. You're just like, was, oh, it's so good. And th- this person's in it, and this person's in it, and we're going to yeah. see this character. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be so cool. And I was and like, I just, there we go. Okay. And I was down. just really <laughs> excited to see it because, as you said, I and we we got to the bottom of it. We diagnosed it pretty quickly, which is I just I love the idea of these weird characters, all these weird, quirky characters that exist in the DC universe. I mean, I would say, so So, so for me, my love of these kind of characters is obviously from things like the Arkham games yeah. and the Batman's rogues gallery, but we also have Aquaman rogues gallery in this, Su- uh, Superman rogues gallery, and it's the DC rogues gallery. And I, I think I am of the conclusion that I do think the DC films have the better villains. I, I'm, I'm, I'm yet the, the jury's still out for heroes, but I do think. Well, maybe actually both. To be honest, I mean, probably, it's yeah, inter- I was going to say probably the both as well. It, it's interest. It's interesting comparison because I'm not sure you can make that claim based on this movie. Because if we actually kind of just list what villains, what the characters are in this movie. They're all like super low tier, obscure. Exactly, but uh, I think that's it. But I think it's I think it's not trying to be anything other than that, and that's what I really like about it. That's what I really engage with. But what I also quite like is that we, what they do very cleverly is we know all these villains because they cast recognizable faces yeah. into their roles. Yeah, and when you do that, apart from Nathan Fillion, who I didn't recognize. Yeah, I know. So he was wearing from, a stupid mask. I thought it was. So, <laughs> but apart from but but apart from that, that's that's what was intriguing about. It. But it was also the fact that I knew for a fact, like you you know, and we'll talk about certainties and uncertainties because that's the theme of maybe one thing that I thought was a little bit un I was unsure of about this film. But if we talk about the theme is certainties, what is certain and what is not certain? We went into this movie plot and story-wise, with nothing certain. This movie could have went absolutely anywhere. Yeah. But that intrigued me more. But the certainty that came from that was I knew I was going to have a good time. I was in safe hands. Do you know, there was no threat that I was going to leave this movie. I I genuinely have never really experienced this before, where there was no threat that I was going to leave this movie and not enjoy it. Yeah. And I and I don't know if you can say the same thing for yourself. I I, I think I can say the same thing. I don't know if that's a plus point. Or not oh i see I, I don't like that i don't it's 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 like for me it's like when you introduce two of your mates and you go i hope these two get on but like that was like introducing two mates that were very kind of similar minded and you're like these two are absolutely going to get on there's no yeah, issues yeah. there's no worry it was kind of like that level of like low you know low level of anxiety going yeah, in. yeah, but, yeah. but it was it was i think that was it and i tried to put my finger on it it was I the like I just know for a fact that for the next whatever two hours I'm just gonna have an absolute ball with this and I did. Um, it was wonderful. Do we wanna do we wanna go into the movie? I was thinking this way around. Let's talk a little bit about the characters because I think the characters largely take you through the first half of the story. Yeah. Um, and they refine it. And I think the best place to start is how they reveal the characters to you. Yeah. In that they kind of chop and change the scenes up a little bit at the start because obviously they wanted to introduce it with a bang and that got me giddy as all hell as you say and yeah, yeah, yeah i just i thought it was amazing the way that they just went the suicide squad it's it's they're well known task force x there's the osprey waiting to take them in it flies into um Corte maltese and it kind of 
it does the kind of reverse parking. It flies over the kind of literal area where they can drop into the water. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, this is awesome. Like this is this is. There's no preamble. They're not setting it up. There's you know they're they're just going straight in. Well, it's and- very interesting that because I. Because I was thinking about how this movie relates to the first Suicide Squad movie. Oh, the I, one, this was, I wondered when this was going to come the, up. The, the one just called Suicide Squad. Yeah. And I do think that they accept that that movie exists and that this movie yeah, ta- yeah. Yeah. takes place in the same in the same world after that movie. So it is, it is, in fact, a sequel. And I think that benefited this movie because they didn't have to do any of the preamble explaining what mm. the Suicide Squad is because the last movie spent a hell of a long time doing just that. So oh, we all absolutely right. So yeah. we all know what the shtick is. We all know who Amanda Waller is. We all know that they have uh chips in the back of their head that will explode if they don't do as they're told. So we we know we know the deal. We know yeah. the deal here. And so we just need so the, there's nothing left to do but just get on with it. Which yeah. I think really works to this movie's advantage. No, you're absolutely right. And and little subtle nods to this. I mean, they they obviously how they how they tell that little first five minutes is through the eyes of Michael Rooker's savant. Um and obviously they see him getting the chip injected into his head. And I, I even just the nuance of the how the doctors refer to him, like these are obviously doctors or scientists that are doing it. And I and I think it's like they just say to him something along the lines of I mean, I can't remember exactly what he says, but it's very much a callous of, oh, you're going to blow up or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of, it, it just sets the tone immediately and obviously killing the killing the bird, which I thought was a nice little reference when they referred back. There's going to be a lot of spoilers, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, when, they, when the bird comes and eats his sort of flesh at the end because Savant is a birds of prey villain, which is, I think, what they were kind of trying to say there, which I thought was quite fun. Like a, a, a canary, black canary villain. Um, I thought it, it was just poetic justice because he just, brutally murdered a, a bird in a courtyard at the beginning of the movie with a yeah. with a with a bouncy ball yeah yeah no I, well it was i think it was a, a a little of both but but the even just even just like as as you say harley quinn enters and you know that like all the dialogue and i think it's going to come up sooner rather than later so let's say it now I, I do think the trailers ruined a large part of this movie yeah it really did um which saddens me but i do have something to talk around in moving forward that i'm interested to kind of explore with yeah, you, yeah, yeah. um around trailers uh, and uh, for upcoming movies but the the even just the the dialogue inside the osprey as that initial suicide squad team are going towards it it's it's wonderful you know you've got pete davidson's black guard tdk who's quite clearly this very sincere um uh, sort of sort of individual which i which i thought was really really funny yeah um harley who's kind of the diffusing of the the tension and obviously they're all talking about weasel and it's just so it you can just tell that like these guys are never going to be a team like they're just so into their own thing and there's they're, they're kind of there's there's no chemistry there's no real they're never gonna like want to help each other or enable each other so when you see that what happens which is obviously blackguard sells them out which i thought is such i really like that's why the casting for blackguard was so good because yeah. that's like peter davidson always plays that kind of character if you've seen him in the king of staten island he he plays the same sort of just like an absolute like just a waster yeah. um and it's very on brand and i think it was that point where what I really liked as well is that Savant then just turned course and was just ran away and was scared. It, it was just like, it yeah. was just a perfect little creation of all the characters. Yeah, it was just madness. It was, it, it, was, madness. it was, it was, it was, it just set the tone wonderfully. And they never, it, 
it, it cemented that tone. You know, even though the movie then started to take a turn and there was heart and there was soul and there was character development, by setting your stall out to that sort of standard, it reinforced the idea that nobody was safe. Nobody yeah. was safe in this movie. And they were saying that all the way up to the end. And I think what really confirmed this was when Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang died in the first five minutes, because obviously yeah. he was a hangover the first movie. And as you said, they referenced the previous movies as, oh, how's it going, Hal, and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, but yeah. it wasn't. Continued. Anyway, I've, I'm rambling on, but I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that first opening sequence. Yeah, um, what, what, was, what was a little bit odd for me was after they killed off half the cast. Mm. Or, you know, let's just call them what they are, the the red herring cast. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we were made to believe in the trailers, not to a fault, I very much liked the bait and switch, but mm. we were led to believe that we were going to see all these sort of characters. And you very correctly predicted that most of them were going to die, but I'm not sure maybe you predicted exactly... You, you, uh, exactly how many or how, or how quickly, quickly how quickly that, yeah how quickly they'd go because we got like little to no time with these characters apart from like you know a few comedic a few comedic moments but what was very interesting is after the bait and switch and then the opening credits rolled because by the way that all of this happens before the opening credits rolled yeah yeah the 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 actors names of the b team the bait and switch team were front and center on the mm. on the cast list which i was like which confused me because i was like oh is something weird gonna happen where we see them again or maybe yeah. they didn't die or something like that but it, it doesn't it doesn't it happens well, it kind of does i mean that's what we're talking about the editing and it, it does show them before obviously it shows the, the kind of the lead up to that beach assault um but you're right it did i think it was a little bit odd how, how they did that i mean i think that was one other criticism that i could have of the movie is that you could have maybe put in a one or two shock deaths at the start and it would have been quite interesting to pace the rest of the deaths out out throughout the movie it would have um, but i suspect that would have been at the expense of all development the, all of the, the real all the really nice fleshing out moments yeah, yeah. that we got of you know people that we didn't know that we could care about like polka dot man or mm, bloody mm. uh rat catcher too or you know yeah, all, the, yeah. all these people i think you, you did need to trim it down yeah so it did it did its job um, so again just going through obviously i, I kind of mentioned savant and blackguard and um, the other thing that that made me laugh so much was the weasel falling out into the sea did anyone check that the weasel could swim and the fact that that was the end of weasel made me laugh so much yeah so much because it was just brilliant it was so funny the we the weasel's dead and they're all just like okay the weasel's dead yeah. I, it was wonderful it was so it was such a james gunn moment for the film um and i also like is a, a little one sean gunn pulls double duty standing in for weasel on set but he also played the live action human character in bell reeve and um, so he plays the dc villain calendar man who was uh, walking past um so i do think if we if we see the, the sort calendar of more of the suicides okay. his name is calendar man and his, his his whole gimmick is that he uh, he commits terrorist attacks but only on specific days of the calendar so like it's this day and so he does this uh, themed event so on right. pancake tuesday he did something he poisoned pancakes or whatever and then on this day he does this and this day and that's his gimmick and that was it but like emphasizing how he's just one of the weirdest 
Batman villain. That's so that's weird. Existed. And nobody could think of a better name than Calendar Man. Calendar Man, yeah. Oh. He's, he comes complete with comic with the villain's bald head and a cranial tattoo of the months of the year all the way around it. Jesus it's uh, yeah, it's really great. That is scraping the barrel. That is. But, but that's but these these guys have been around for quite a while. Um, and and yeah, and the other one with TDK, as you mentioned at the top. Um, the detachable kid turns out that's what it stood for yeah and um, i also do you find it in in, in honor um of nathan fillion in his home city of edmonton in alberta canada officially renamed their city hall to the nathan fillion civilian pavilion for the opening week of the suicide squad movie <laughs> and that was a petition by all the cast in the suicide squad Brilliant. so it's very funny to love watch. hearing things about it like that um but yeah things like you know your 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 mongol your savant uh your your jai courtney's captain boomerang javelin he he's a very funny fleur um i think it's borgen i forget his full name here but he's he's a very very funny guy funny german actor he was on um kimmel a while ago and it was very very funny to watch him sort of talk around and again it's great it was really really good and then we talked about the other side, the B team, as it were, and how they revealed that. What was your thoughts on all of those characters? And and as you quite rightly said, they were the ones that got the fleshed out character stories. Yeah, absolutely. And again, kind of low low tier, low tier kind of villains here. Mm, mm. Like I'd not heard of any of them. Mm. I'd really not heard of any of them before going to see this movie, or rather before the trailers of this movie. But, um, yeah, I mean, the fact that they got the cast that they got to play them as well, mm. I think really helped sell it because Idris Elba was an absolute joy. He was amazing. And it was he was just big Driss. He was proper big Driss in this role, just like... Yeah, yeah, yeah no nonsense just this is who i think this is what i'm trying to do and and it was it was so wonderful because you were obviously watching this film through a couple of people's eyes but i think no one more than than blood uh, blood is it blood sport blood sport yeah blood sport yeah, yeah, yeah. blood sport um the the other ones is things like obviously i mean king shark is someone that you're relatively familiar yeah. with yeah also just now that you've brought up king shark can we just acknowledge if there's if there's one big headline that i want to like pin on this movie to try and sell it to people is that the notion of sylvester stallone voicing uh animated walking shark mm. is by no means the maddest thing in this movie yeah, it's crazy, and that's and and that's why you should go and see it. <laughs> As for how James Gunn got Sylvester Stallone to voice the role, it didn't take a whole lot of convincing. Gunn said to him, "I wrote this role for you in the Suicide Squad. It won't take too much of your time." And Stallone, uh, Stallone replied, "Oh yeah." To which Gunn said, "Yeah, I think it's uh, it's I think it'll be good. It's a big kind of chubby human eating shark." To which Stallone said, "Anything for you, brother." <laughs> nice <laughs> um and and i also quite find it was what was it, his name was nanai nanai because the way that they said that no what no i can't i can't it's one of those weird Isn't words where like anayu or something like that no it's nanai they kept saying it throughout and i i always like the way that joel kinnaman said it um and and daniel melquire is, as Ratcatcher 2 said it yeah um i guess then talking to joel kinnaman rick flag was back he yeah. played a more naive version of the first rick flag which i thought was really quite fun to watch you know a little bit more jaded and not quite as like 
brutalist and 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 you know brooding it was a bit more like engageable i really enjoyed him actually well i think the the lovely yellow cropped t-shirt he was sporting for most of the movie definitely helped with that yeah exactly (laughs) um john cena as well i think originally at one point it would have been dave batista um but i'm really happy that actually john cena got this role he was... was so good in this wasn't he I, I think the best things, the, the funniest parts of John Cena in this movie was the two instances where he was out of costume. So when you first meet him and when they do the whole, you know, Robert Dubow, he is blood sport, he is like this, he's that, he's that. Amazing costume as well for Driss, you know, like the, the, the kind of Inspector Gadget feel, the Xenomorph helmet and the way that it sort of slightly muffled his, his dialogue when he was talking. Amazing. Yeah. And they explain, you know, he's a, he give, give him anything and he's a, he's a, it's a dead deadly weapon if you put it in his hands and he's a master at this and master at that and then he introduces blood um um uh what's he called bloody um john cena's peacemaker peacemaker and, he's, yeah. and he gives the same intro and he goes doesn't he isn't it that the exact same thing that i do and he goes, i know it's the same wording and it was so <laughs> funny and he goes i know but i just do everything better but I, I still laugh at that first you know john cena's comedy acting it's it's really present you know he just stood there bolt upright in his cell and the other time is where you know, King Shark nearly eats Ratcatcher too, and he he comes through in his tighty whities and like what a one like that was so funny, I like know. that was such a funny thing that was just existing in that scene. Like the writing and the chemistry and the characters were were just so wonderful. Yeah. Um, mentioned her too, Ratcatcher too. We obviously, as James Gunn said, as there always has to be in these DC movies, she was the heart of this movie, and yeah. It, it, it kind of came through and again like not to, to blow the old trumpet but I did kind of think there's more to this character and we had the little Taku Atiti, um the kind of uh, the, the cameo role as the rat catcher one I thought it was lovely I thought it was a really really good inclusion yeah the it was really good and again like as, as you say she really was the heart of the movie mm. and as as with all like satisfying kind of like hearts of the movie she kind of gets the 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 big heroic moment at the end you know nobody yeah. nobody thinks it's the girl that's controlling rats that's gonna save the day until yeah. you know until she saves the day and yeah. does it with a lovely a lovely memory of her dad yeah playing, playing while the strings are playing and it's just yeah it's a lovely it movie moment it was, you just sit there and it warms your heart it's lovely it was it absolutely was and then the final one that i just wanted to was was as you said the polka dot man what was really funny is they slightly changed in a, in a classic Slither style way, James Gunn Slither kind of homage, they turned it into some sort of virus that he'd been exposed to, and they right. gave him the, the sort of mummy issues. What I liked about Polka Dot Man was that guy was mental. Like that guy was crazy. Yeah. And when you when I saw Polka Dot Man, I was kind of thinking, oh, it's David Dasmalshin. Like he's he's obviously a very He's a, he's a very, very good actor and he'll maybe make you kind of come on his side and you can maybe see things from his point of view. But I think James Gunn's bait and switch there was you you won't be able to relate to this guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. you will not be able to. He's been plagued with this virus. The, the way that you had to vomit the polka dots up at night, I just yeah. was like, that made me laugh so much. And you know how he was just, he has to expel them every so often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh. and the, the best thing, obviously, about this was the mum issues that he had. And he yeah. just, everything he sees is his mum. I mean, it was wonderful. Yeah. It was just it was really so wonderful. wonderful. My, uh, my, my, uh, my, my initial thoughts of this, I think he's the same character as Dark Knight. I'm just saying. Just yeah, yeah, I, 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 I think it's yeah, the same guy. Be. I think it's the same guy. 
Proved me um, wrong. <laughs> what's what's also quite I mean, I think maybe a little missed trick was that the, the, the polka dot man in this is the polka dots just burn through things, but actually in um in the sort of comics they can do different things. So some of them he can like fly on the polka dot disc, some of them, you know, are are whatever and cover cover people up and stuff like this and i thought i was expecting there to be some weird things yeah. the polka dots what actually you're describing do. it's, what no, it's mad it's mad mental. it is mad um and then also as you mentioned we had john murphy back so john murphy scoring this movie um john murphy has scored the last superhero movie he did was kick-ass yeah but i'm a huge huge fan of john murphy for scoring 28 days later all right um very very personal uh, composer and as you said before he was able to tailor some of the the um motifs as it were to characters like rat catcher um and and really just lean on some of those because he is a very personal composer and the strings were wonderful i thought the pacing of some of the beats of this movie were great i felt that he very much probably was very much invested with james gunn the two of them i was reading somewhere the two of them have a really really great relationship with how they've worked together and you can tell that i think they vibe off each other's kind of kind of sentiments of the movie i've often thought as a composer um the best thing that john murphy does is unlike composers like john williams who bring their own vibe and they bring their own thing or 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 maybe you're danny elfman's you all you can always tell a oh, danny yeah. elfman you can score. always tell danny elfman's score. what what i really like about john murphy's scores is john murphy has the ability to complete he's he's like a chameleon composer if if the director wants something or he wants a vibe for a movie john murphy has the ability to tailor the way that he creates scores to that movie style. Yeah. And in some ways it's a double-edged sword because it means that he as a composer, you, you don't always recognize John Murphy scores. And I always don't, re- I never recognize them actually. I put my hand to my yeah. heart, but when you know it's John Murphy, you go, that's it. That's his thing. Right. Um, and as, as I say, he does it nothing better than the, t- the 28 weeks later as well. Just, just, just some really wonderful stuff that he's done in the no, past. It's a really astute observation and it's a very interesting, <sighs> kind of look at the relationship between a director and composer because i always i always kind of think in many ways and i think i am biased on this because you know i am a musician i am skewed to put a lot of importance into the musical content of of a movie but i've always sort of viewed the the director and the composer as being sort of like partners type thing and i know it's not the case i know the director's got got a huge job and the and the composers just got to score the bloody thing you know i'm not yeah. saying i'm not saying that's a small job by any stretch but you know when you look back on obviously the most famous partnership in history john williams and steven spielberg yeah like if you look at all the movies that exist within that output you you can't have one without the other none of the movies that have both of them in it work without the other without the other one and i've always kind of like seen that as a partnership but as you as you were saying you know john murphy's kind of thing seems to be being able to just go into go into it and realize exactly what the director wants so yeah i wonder if yeah i wonder if he's kind of you know the tool you know the director is like i can't actually compose the music but i know exactly mm. what i want and i need and i need and i need you to do it but the, the the thing is, like this this score, um, I've listened to quite a lot, and it the score reflects the range of characters because there's so many different things in this. This is the famous Suicide Squad is the first track on there, and the yeah. notes that I made for this is it's just like 
pulsing, just dun, 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 dun. And then, and then the second one, Approach to the Beach, it's, it's the way that it's like, this is going to be a rock score. This isn't going to yeah. be like your standard orchestra score. Um, and I loved it so much because it's like, it kind of drip feeds you. But then if you listen to those two and then straight into Mayhem on the Beach, Mayhem on the Beach is like double time. It's like the yeah. same score. It's the same, um, I think it's the same. It's relentless, uh, isn't it? Yeah, it's and it's full on. And what I quite like about the Mayhem on the Beach is the, do you know when like modern scores do this, they kind of go, do you know that kind of like weird Oh, there's like, a, a there's like a phase in yeah do you know that yeah, kind of yeah, sound yeah. I, and it does it quite a lot um and i just thought i thought it was really really great some other stuff that that jumps that jumps out um to me was was harley gets the javelin how funny was that little sequence where javelin's lying on the deck yeah and and harley like because so, it, it the way that the song like it builds up to that it absolutely like builds up and yeah. builds up and then you're like what's gonna happen and i think you maybe thought he was gonna blow up or something and then yeah it's just... weird that wasn't the fr it wasn't the only time in that movie where mm. you you got the sense that something was about to happen because he's he's like lying there he's like lying yeah. there dead yeah, and then yeah. there there's just like a pause where you're just expecting something to happen just like oh she's gonna do something or yeah. he's he's gonna he's gonna wake up and go ah oh, i'm not quite dead or something yeah, or something yeah. like that and then the other moment was obviously the death of polka dot man yes where uh, where where he's like i'm a goddamn superhero you or said, whatever you said you said the right thing you were like it was quite like you put it into really good words you were like you could tell he was going to die based on the framing of that you know him standing there. Yeah. He was, um, it was quite. I mean, it was obviously like a green screen or something. So you had what yeah. you needed in the foreground, and then he yeah. was in the background. And that's that's not something that was spoiled by the trailer or anything no, like that. No. That was just there. I bet you could see it right in the moment. You're like, he's about to get. He's about to get yeah. squished. He's well, totally about to get squished. And sure enough, he did. <laughs> Interdimensional virus is one of the weird standouts like this is such a diverse score interdimensional yeah, virus you've got a bit got... of psychedelic in yeah there. and it's weird and it's weird notes and it's like i remember watching david dismantion he must have went through a lot of makeup to look that way it was kind of disturbing wasn't it it like, really it was, was really yeah, like was really grim <laughs> and it really like emphasized this guy just didn't want this um and obviously it makes sense the kind of how he his goddamn power. mother I know, I know, I know, right? Well, one of the songs that I, a piece of music in this that I absolutely love is called, it's um, a track called Project Starfish. Yeah. It's a horror movie sound. And that's what John Murphy is famous for. It was that horror movie scene where you saw the tentacles of Starro moving across the sequence and yeah, you've got yeah. the thinker on screen. It is a horror movie piece of music. And then it's so heavily juxtaposed by Mayhem on the Beach, which is the crazy action sequence that we have at the start. Oh, yeah, it's mental. Um, the, the next one there was Ratcatcher's Story. And obviously we kind of have that. Now, the, there's um, I did a small deep dive and I've got friends who are from Portugal. So it's, it's a Portuguese piece of music um, and it's called... It, there's basically, and I'm sure I've talked about this on the sh on the show before. There's a type of Portuguese music that's called it's like fado or pado or something, else, and it's basically it's a word that doesn't it doesn't have a direct translation to English, and it's described as a piece of somber or sad music that Portuguese musicians will sing, often accompanied by a guitar, and the 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 literal translation of what fado actually means is 
their love of Portugal and how much they miss home and ah. how much they really they, they they cannot describe the feeling of being back in Portugal in their hometown or in their home life with their family and their and their life and um, it's Caledonia it's Caledonia <laughs> exactly it's basically Caledonia for us it's Caledonia okay but, but I and I and I went out on a limb and, I, and I'm pretty sure the, the the second half of the track Rat Catcher Story has that similar sort of classical guitar which we see which I just think is so lovely and it and it's just really personal and it's just really like I like the emphasis on Portugal obviously because um you know Daniel Melchior is from Portugal as well which was I thought was very yep. very sweet and very appropriate. Um other ones to jump out was the 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 Clyrax and King Shark or King Shark and the Clyrax with with the singer I, I don't know it's Jessica something who's the who does the kind of yeah that yeah, was yeah. weird that sequence wasn't yeah, it yeah 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 do you think there was any sort of deeper meaning to that what what did you think about that sequence and that weird haunting well, piece of music I don't know it was it was weird because obviously King Shark or whatever his actual name is or Nahu or whatever it is and I. But, yeah, he he's he's got a childlike brain, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's got a childlike curiosity, and you you definitely see that when he's when he's in that sort of aquarium room mm. type thing. And I feel like that that music choice really represented that. But it also it's like a lullaby, yeah, is a little bit like a lullaby. But then on top of that, it had a bit of like a a muffled quality as if it was being yeah, heard underwater like a, re- like a reverb sort of yeah well, I, but as if it was being heard underwater you know when you go when you go into a swimming pool mm, or mm. you know bath or whatever and you dunk yeah. your head under the water and you try and make a noise it's like really present in your yeah, head but yeah. muffled at the same time no i know exactly I, I what think, you mean yeah i think that's probably the sound that they were going for the the other the other piece of music is well bombs go off and then suicide squad versus star of the conqueror they're like your classic like hero action fight sequences and then the squad fight back kind of does that too um but ratism i mean as you you know as you said like that is the best track on there yeah but, yeah it's certainly my favorite but it's quite like heroic in a way and it and it um what what is it what does it sound like it's it's um it sounds like a contemporary piece of music that's it it sounds like one one by one only the good die young do, do. do you know that song no i don't know that song Have you never heard that song one no. by one only the good die young i think it, i don't know who sings it but it, it sounds a lot like that but oh man just like all the rock music and all the different guitars and all the different instruments like this is just the weirdest score and it just reflects yep. the thing so much i loved it rat ratism is by far my favorite track it's, I'm just it's wonderful it it's really it's, nice it's the most it's the most fleshed out because i think one of my frustrations with the soundtrack because i did listen to all of it i was get i was i was really really excited to dive into this i was like oh yeah 23 tracks this is this is this is great this is great and then oh wait hang on 51 minutes mm-hmm. 51 yeah. minutes 23 track these are all like really like short concise cues like they're yes. very much it, you really get the sense that every single one of these tracks has just like one specific function yeah that um, makes sense that, that, yeah that you just put into where wherever you want it like a like like a jigsaw or like a code to just do something as opposed to there being like a narrative story being uh, told through the score mm. which you know i like i like one way other than the other way but i still really enjoyed this one 
Well, but let's call it how it is. It's not just a score. I mean, we have James Bond, uh, James Bond, James, James Gunn's Duke, James Gunn's Duke's jukebox in yeah. this. Um, the, the the Folsom Prison Blues, that that kind of Johnny Cash intro. I mean, the kind of Bell Reeve. I love this. I mean, one of my most favorite inclusions of music was Whistle for the Choir. I'm yeah. a huge Fratelli's fan, and when I heard that, I didn't and that really whole sequence, the to turn no, up this, you didn't, did and it was it was really weird. And I, I mean, I. I don't. I don't think it was brilliant. I think you could have used a better song. I do think you could use. I love Whistle for the Choir. I just think yeah, it's yeah. a wonderful song. It was. It was a bit odd. And maybe I think it was just because it was us. Like I mean, or, or you know, we've grown like that was. I remember getting the Fratelli's album when I was. I got it as a Christmas present. That um, that Costello music album. Yeah. And that Costello music album. I think is I remember when amazing, you got that. It's an amazing album. I think it was 2004 it was released, 2005 it was released. And every song on that album is amazing. And it, it's so full on. And there's some there's some really great, great parts. And what always frustrated me about Costello Music as an album was that songs like Whistle for the Choir. Um, and there was, there, was a, there was a few other ones. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, For the Girl was a really good song. And I'm creeping up the backstage. These were some of the songs that were kind of put into the, the background. And songs like Chelsea Dagger were the ones that were released as the singles. Yeah. But it's only because they were just the easy ones that you could stick on the radio. I love that album. Uh, and another song that I talked to you a little bit about... Um, which is in the it was on one of the trailers and it was used in the sequence where Peacemaker, Bloodsport, and Rick Flag are being carried in the 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 are the weaponized via, you know the the sort of the, the tank they're in the yeah, prison yeah, yeah. And they, you know, there's a there's a piece of music that gets played on the radio called Rain and um, by Grandson and Jesse Reyes it's a cool song it's such a it, I would I would go as far as to say it's one of my most favorite inclusions of a song in a movie in recent history oh, it's right. such a it's such a it, I, my one recommendation is, and you can listen to it out of context it's just a cool song it's it's a full techno explosion kind of yeah. m- uh, minor key just it's, it's a cool song yeah. really cool song now f- uh, forgive me if i'm wrong but there isn't actually a jukebox soundtrack like compilation official release compilation to no there movie, no there? there isn't no you can i mean you can get it all this there's, there's a few things on um like Water Tower Music have done it, so they they kind of do these things for Spotify and Apple Music. If you if you've seen a movie and there's quite a few songs, Water Tower Music, they I don't know what their publication rights are to do this. I think it's just vetoed through Apple Music, but they basically compile. What they can do is they compile songs based on this. So you can, there is yeah. playlists to listen to the, all the, the songs. Oh, very out there. good. So my que- so my question to that is: Is this going to join your gym playlist with the Last Suicide Squad playlist? <laughs> That's a very good question. No, no, probably not. I mean, I think it was it was uh, that that was a specific the playlist for that previous Suicide Squad, which I stand by, is wonderful. Oh yeah, it was it was very much curated for that movie. Which say what you want about that movie. The 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 great thing about this playlist is it functions more as a James Gunn playlist in that you you know you have everyone in this. Like you've got the Fratellis, you've got the Pixies, the Pixies Hey, which I really enjoyed. Um, a little bit of an inclusion there, and um, people. 
who died by the Jim Carroll band. That's an old song. Like that's a really old song. Yep. And then you compare that with, as I said, grandson appears twice in this track and grandson's like a new techno kind of like vibe sort of artist. The variety of this thing doesn't mean that you can exactly lend it to a specific example of yeah, like, yeah. Oh, listen to this at the gym. Like I'm not going to listen to the gym with Johnny Cash on at the background. Okay. But well maybe, it, maybe, it was, it was good though. maybe I was being too specific when I said the gym then is this a, is this a playlist of songs that is going to feature on rotation for you? Of course it is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, Point of No Return by Kansas, that's already appears in loads of my different playlists, um, which is which is another one uh, that, that I really enjoyed. But yeah, I, I think so. I think yeah, but so. no, but I mean, I, I, I mean, to together, though. More. I mean, I mean, together, though, because we've already gathered all yeah, these yeah, songs, yeah, totally. are, all these are, are songs that you'd listen to individually, but would yeah. you listen to them together? Yeah, to- totally. In the same way that I li- like listening to the Gardens of the Galaxy playlists, like it's that kind of, yeah, that's that yeah. kind of vibe. So I, I, I think so. I do. I do think so. One of them that I missed, I want to talk a little bit about. Um, so I obviously said that the grandson did Rain. Grandson also did a song called Oh No. Yeah. And Grand- grandson's an artist. He's, he's a so grandson, Jordan Edward Benjamin, actually from Canada, um, did the song Rain, which is just such a really cool, cool song. The other the other track is Oh No, which is the it's the one I think that was used in the tr- was it the credits, the end sequence. Um, just a thumping sort of full on bass, kind of like pendulum esque yeah. style. Um, what did what did you think of the Louis Prima, just a gigolo, and I ain't got nobody when Harley Quinn was like escaping and shooting in the circle? Do you think that was a bit like weird? Can you remember that one? I mean, I can I can remember I can remember the sequence really well. I don't rem- I, and I'm ashamed to say I don't remember the song that was playing in that bit. So Louis Prima was the one who originally sang I Want to oh, okay. Be Like You. So he, you know, in, in the Jungle Book, I Want to oh, yeah. Be Like You. So that's him. Um, but another another song that I just took away so much was the song Sucker's Prayer by the Decemberates, which is the song where we see Bloodshot at the start, like picking the gum off the floor. It's a beautiful song. And it's just, it's really just like somber and it's down in his luck. And it's the, yeah. literally the lyrics are, I want to throw my body in the river and drown. It's like, I put some rocks yeah. in, the, in my pockets and put myself in the river. And it's just like, this guy's just done with life. Yeah. Um, also, I awesome. thought maybe they were going to make him like a a, a clean freak or something like that. Oh, that would have been quite a cause, cool cause that, trait, yeah. Because I thought they were making a kind of joke about that at the beginning of the movie because the prison was really light and like spotless. Yeah, because that's a he good wasn't. Point, there. Yeah. And obviously, the same prison was definitely not that in the first no. Suicide no, Squad no. movie, was it? No, definitely not. Definitely, but. I mean, as a, as a whole, like the score and the soundtrack, like the range of music you get here and how it's used is so, so effective. Like I will be listening to the score and the soundtrack for this and rewatching this movie. Oh, yeah. You're, you're years. To yeah. Come. You've like, already said so several weird. times that you want to go see this in the cinema again. Oh, I genuinely might, mate. Genuinely might. Do we want to talk a little bit about then the story and where it goes the starro the thinker like now that we've killed all the characters okay. we've got onto the island we're like let's talk about the second half onwards okay so the story i mean story's a big thing story's a yeah. big thing i think this is where some negatives start to creep in for me all right because did you honestly care about the fucking starfish i did no, I, I like so I, for me. I, I did, and and the re- there's. I'll tell you why right, there was okay, a go reason on, go I did. The reason that I cared a lot about the starfish was because Starro. If you're a fan of the of the DC comics and DC franchise and comics, Starro is like 
is so front and centre. And we've never, ever had Starro included in anything before. Right. Because you, could, you, cause you couldn't do that. It's it's mad. Why would you put a massive interdimensional starfish? But Starro has appeared in the in the DC zeitgeist for so long, and I was so interested in the starfish because we'd never seen it before, and this was the first opportunity where tangibly you could justify putting this crazy thing in the movie. Yeah. No, and I like the lead up to that. Okay, fine. I didn't know about Starro before this. Oh, okay, yeah. I didn't know about Starro before this, so my first. My first introduction to any sort of interdimensional uh, space starfish is in this movie. And for me, I went, I was just thinking, right, you, you've you've gone and taken that too far. <laughs> it's meant, no, it's fucking mental. <laughs> it, it's, it's fucking mental. And, and that's not a bad thing. I found the whole of this movie endlessly entertaining. And as I said, um, this movie's big draw kind of is in two parts right it's the over the over the top action so it's it, it, what we'd call like a post deadpool sort of super, superhero yeah, yeah, yeah. movie yeah. where you're allowed to do what you want and it's yeah. not pg and you, you yeah. know you can just murder people in really gruesome yeah. ways and it's fine yeah that's half of this movie and the other half is kind of like wacky james gunn comedy right yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. it's funny and it's violent right those two things just on their own on this own is enough to make this like a great movie and like a really really good watch but the, what the characters are actually doing while doing all that stuff i literally do not care about and it was uh, and it got to towards the end of the movie where i felt like i'd had my fill of all the good stuff and i was just kind of waiting for the starfish to die yeah, yeah. honest honestly because i was like well I, I don't i don't care about the starfish this 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 looks too crazy to function and i was thinking about it if if your if your big draw is the violence and the comedy and the star names doing the characters really mm. really well and you mm. want to spend more time with the characters and actually what they're doing in the mission is actually come on relatively secondary regardless of if you like the starfish or not it is secondary and so oh, and I, so I, I, not what the point that's of this so movie interesting. is see i totally disagree i actually think they did a really good job of of, of when they got rid of the shock factor of killing the the, the 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 um the characters i really enjoyed how they actually turned them towards the mission of the starfish and the discovery of it was because i think it all in my head, it made perfect sense. You know, they find this international star. It's taken down to Court Matisse. Then there's the kind of the who's really behind the science experiments. They kind of manipulate the story. The the whole starfish on the face, face sucker thing. That's been in the zeitgeist for years, you know, the, throughout loads of different forms of film and TV and of all course. this sort of stuff. That's, and I, and I, what I really liked as well, um, and I mentioned a little bit, and John Murphy was really, really well put as the composer, but so was Peter Capaldi as the thinker, because he was a he was really great, you know, he was very much Malcolm Tucker, Doctor, you know, Doctor Who kind of esque in this, and he had a he had a nice little Malcolm Tucker rant, which I which I loved. Yeah, I, but, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that as well. There was a but there was a particular sequence where the tone of the movie really shifted, like the tone shifted in and out of so many different things. We also had that really funny romantic sequence. We'll go, go back to that. Yeah, we'll but talk about the that. The tone of 
the tone of when you discover, you know, the face huggers and they're all trapped and the fingers coming up through the floor. And then you see the kind of horrendous science experiments where the people are cut in half and then someone's had the face hugger removed and it's left the kind of the fleshy imprint of all the disgusting. It was disturbing. It was really disturbing and quite shocking. And it, it even though it's a crazy concept, it, it it grounded it a little bit. It grounded uh, see, it. Did I don't you know think it, I don't think it did. I think I think those little I think those little moments like of the results of it. You're a hundred percent right. Like when all the kind of dead test subjects had like imprints yeah. of starfishes on their face. Yes, hundred percent. But when the full mothership, you know, starfish is roaring above the, the, the sky, freaking kaiju. Uh, the freaking We've got a freaking kaiju up in this bitch. What, what, on this what, joint, yeah. What a line that was. And by what a line, I mean that was a terrible line. It wasn't great, uh, was, was it? really not good. That was something I expected to see in Godzilla. But, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I just kind of lost. It was over the line. It was over the line for me. It was too, yeah. too big and too colorful. And it just lost all sense of realism for me at all do you want to talk and i felt and i felt just to finish finish this point i i thought up a scenario in my head where you had all of these characters doing their things but in smaller missions in for example a tv show or something Mm. and they weren't going up against something very very huge that i actually didn't care about and it's not as if they're not doing that because we're getting a bloody John Cena peacemaker movie. And can't so I was wait, like, can't well, wait for that. And so and and so I was thinking, oh, the formula, the formula of the tone and the action and the actors and all of that is just so like on point. It's like gold dust. It's like lightning in a bottle. That concept yeah. is great. Put it into smaller chunks and drip feed us this stuff. Mm, don't yeah, over don't oversaturate uh, us with it and then give us a big fuck off pink starfish at the end on genuinely that was like i i just i just think it was just that little bit too much for the starfish can, for me can i can i tell you one thing that the starfish and a large part of the movie things like uh peacemaker's costume and and maybe polka dot man can i tell you something that was a huge success um and that was beth beth mickle who was basically her she was the production designer for this so she's worked with james gunn um a little bit on some of the guardian stuff but james gunn wanted the film to be gray and drab and monotone and you can't deny Almost all of this movie was grey and monotone until the characters arrived in Corto Maltese. And then the characters exploded with colour. Your Harley Quinns, your Peacemakers, your yeah. your uh, your Starros. You know, like the mental colours in the drab backgrounds. And what was quite interesting was outside Harley Quinn, the drab background, you know, your Bloodsport, your Ratcatcher 2 and your King Shark, who kind of had like the monotone colours, were the ones that actually made it to the end. And it was the big, the the colourful ones, all the weird colours. They were the ones that all just like, died instantly and i and i liked that like i I thought it was really well done like the production design was amazing and whether you like the story or not i or the the kind of the the starro piece i loved the way that they just went mental with it and even down to you know the little fish with the teeth in it that kind of um thing you didn't like as well you thought was uh but i i thought it was i thought it was absolutely absolutely wonderful um i'll give you something that i didn't like yeah and 
I had to be told that I didn't like this. So I, this isn't always, an original always, thought. Always a good start. Yeah, I know. This isn't original thought. I, 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 there was something that was niggling away at the back of my mind watching this movie. And I, and I was wondering what it was. And I think I've hit the nail on the head. And it is with Harley Quinn. And so we've said we're going to talk a little bit about Harley Quinn. Yep. Let's do it now. Um, now, I'm going to read, uh, I'm going to read a sort of a quote. I tell you what, what I'll do is I won't read the quote. The, the quote kind of justifies why maybe I'm wrong. But I'll start with the, the thought process, which is we were watching this movie and we were being told, you know, everyone's expendable. Everyone will could die. And I think when they, they killed off Rick Flagg and then when they potentially killed off Peacemaker, you were sold on that. I mean, I remember watching that final Starro battle and going, all of these people easily could die. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? All of them could. Like, we obviously thought King Shark was going to die at one point. I was convinced he was, you know, when they were riddling with bullets and he fell out. I was like, he's dead. Um, I was a bit sad that they killed Polka Dot Man, I'll, I'll be honest, but he was too weird to keep alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was one character that was never going to die. And of course, that was Harley Quinn. Yeah, because it's my And Harley, movie. exactly. And um, I didn't think that was that good. I, I think actually... I think she was one too many in this movie. Right. Um, and I've been thinking about it in the, the no, every time Harley Quinn was on sequence. And again, this isn't my original thought. I, I can't remember the name of the, the reviewer that said this, but it's a really great astute observation. They says, every time you saw any character on screen, you were like, could be their last moment. Yeah. But as soon as you saw Margot Robbie on screen, you could, you kind of got a bit of respite for 10 minutes. I think the only other exception was maybe Ratcatcher 2, but you kind of got a bit of respite. Do you know what I mean? You yeah, were kind of yeah, just yeah. like, Oh, it's fine. Well, she's going to be safe. You know, the whole sequence where she's inside the palace and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but what I read was there was a there was a reason why maybe this was this was the thought. Um, and James James Gunn said this. So Margaret Robbie shared what to expect from the upcoming return of the character. Uh, and what she said, one of the thing, first things I said to James was, I think Harley is a catalyst of chaos. She's not necessarily your narrative center. And sometimes it's great when plot points can rest on other characters' shoulders and she can bring the thing that erupts the whole sequence of events. And that's something that he agreed with. Based on what I was reading in the script, she continued to tease her return as Harley with these words. In terms of how she's changed, it's just always interesting to explore what characteristic differences directors gravitate towards from the character. And, and I think that's really important. I think that's a really, really great point to put her you weren't watching the story through her eyes she was the one who was twisting all the the keys she was the one who was turning a lot of the story point points onwards yeah you know what i mean and actually she accidentally (laughs) yeah exactly but that was good they did that well yeah she was the she was the um i'm trying i'm trying to think she was the ark of the covenant in this movie you know she wasn't indiana jones she was the one that was making the story um and i and i like that obviously that's referencing the the theory that um indiana jones if he didn't do anything in raise the lost art the movie would just be exactly the same i, I think that's i the... both love and hate that theory yeah, I, I love know. i love and hate that theory i love i love that theory because i suspect it might be true but i hate that theory because it's always presented in a way that is supposed to make the movie worse but i don't actually think it does yeah, I don't, I, actually, mean, yeah. I don't actually think even if that is true, I don't actually think that matters. I think me, he's still an arche- still an archaeologist and he's like yeah. kind of on this on this ride as as it were that he doesn't really have any control over. Why yeah, why, yeah. why does it matter if he's a, a direct kind of hero in it or not? 
Mm. I don't think it does matter. What well, one thing that I wanted to ask you was the Harley Quinn that we get in this movie. Is she different to the other two Harley Quinns that we've seen? What did you notice that was different? I think it's a reminder. I think there was one specific point, and you know exactly where I'm talking about, where she does something, and you're you are reminded very hard that she is an unhinged lunatic. Yeah, and it's the red flag sequence, isn't it? Oh, the the red flag. Yeah, when she says red flags. Oh, yeah, yeah, red flags. Yeah, sorry, I, I I missed that cue, but yeah, that bit. Yeah, because she is a she is a villain, and she has been mm. been presented as an antihero, very very much front and center in Birds of Prey, and that was a really like unique aspect to her character. But I think this was bringing her back down to, oh yeah, by the way, she's still the mental ex girlfriend of the Joker, and she will kill you as soon as look at you. Yeah, yeah, or, exactly. Or as soon as shag you. What what I what I like. Be. What I know, what I liked about this movie as well is that James Gunn clearly didn't hire, um, didn't 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 hire Margot Robbie to reprise the role. He basically hired Harley Quinn. Yeah, he went. I just want to put Harley Quinn in this movie, and Harley Quinn shows up and does her thing with the circumstances of everything she runs. She just reacts to it all. But if we get really into the nuance of the character, what I like about her in this is the dialogue is different. And how she acts is different. And you can tell, I, I think it's a different interpretation of Harley Quinn from Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey, she's kind of, I, I must admit, it kind of frustrated me a little bit. She was kind of this more kind of like teenage kind of millennial kind of vibe that she had. And she was like working her way through the, the plot points. And there was she, she showed a lot of vulnerabilities in it. And it was designed to be that way. Yeah. In Suicide Squad, the first one, she was a little bit too... It was a bit too showy. Obviously, that was the first inclusion of Harley Quinn. I think she wasn't quite sure of herself. She was very more sincere. She was a lot more action-centric, action-focused. And it was good because a large part of the direction was she was being manipulated and she was kind of... She wasn't her own person. She was manipulated by Jared Leto's Joker. But what was really great in this movie, there was a couple of like points of dialogue. Like when we first introduced her to her, she was like, sorry, I'm late. I was going for number two. And I'm like, no, that's fun. Like, that's good. She's like, she she's really pushing herself as, yeah, I'm one of the more weirder parts of these characters. I can compete with the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was a specific one and it was put in the trailers, but it's the way she delivers the line, um, you know, hey guys. And she goes, oh, we're coming in to save. She goes, and she goes, but but I can go back inside and you can rescue me again. I love the way she delivers that line yeah. because it really just shows you that kind of, this is Harley. Um, this is the vulnerable parts of her. She just wants to be included in these she teams. Does. But also what we just saw previously was her killing everyone in the room. Um, and, and the last little point I'll say about Peacemaker, Harley, Bloodsport particularly is... You believe they could go toe to toe with Superman. You believed that they could. You know, you were like she. She there was no vulnerability. She isn't just a human. She is a supervillain. She really is a supervillain, yeah. and it showed that. Um, but yeah, it was a, it, it it was it was a weird. You never knew she was going to die, but they did something different. Yeah, no, no. It's, it's interesting. I'm not sure that I had that feeling going through it as far as the you know all Harley's safe and therefore I've lost a little bit of. Uh, interest in it i don't think i really got that but i'm glad you brought up that scene where she was out where she's outside and she catches them trying to rescue her because that's one bit that i really hated 
oh, really? in this in in this movie and for a reason that we kind of alluded to earlier and that was because of the trailers yeah 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 because yeah, that yeah. particular moment that that extended piece of dialogue is one of a few pieces of extended comedic moments that is just put in the trail put in the trailers which just completely took me out of it i mean what a great what a great joke that would have been if you know she killed all the people inside they went out and the her teammates hadn't even started to rescue her yet and she mm. just came up and went hey what you doing you know exactly how it mm. happens you're like mm. that's a really funny thing that's a really yeah. funny nobody in the cinema laughed no I nobody know, in the right. cinema yeah. laughed and that's the only really reason yeah. that nobody in the cinema laughed is because the whole the thing is spoiled in the trailer and because that's such a extended punchline with like a lot of time given to it to a sequence that took a fair bit of time before that we as the audience have had a long time to see that bit coming we're like oh so that everybody seeing this movie for the first time has already seen the scene that finishes that sequence and mm. i'm like why would you allow that why would you yeah, why would you re- why would you put all the punchlines and then and then not put the jokes in Exactly, because set up the jokes, yeah. as far as the trailer is concerned, we know that Harley was captive. We know that Harley was captive somewhere and the people and, and the team were going to go and rescue her, but she managed to get out herself. We knew that from the trailer. And so yeah. when she gets captured in the movie fucking 30 minutes prior, because it's a long time she spends um in captivity you know oh well she's gonna get out because we know she's gonna get out and we know that there's gonna be this really funny joke at the end that we've all seen and we all know that and we all know that yeah no and and that's not the only example of where it's not the fault of the movie though it's not the fault of the movie i think that's definitely not the fault of the movie definitely not the fault of the movie but 100 percent the fault of the trailers as well and i've been thinking about this because i i questioned you this when we were walking home because i i did kind of voice this voice this when we were walking home and I said, is it my fault for watching the trailers mm. or is it the trailer's fault for putting that information in? And I was... Trailer's I, fault. And trailer's I think it's the fault. trailer's fault because actually, I will say, I think I actually only watched the trailers for these movies like once, one a piece. Yeah. I watched every trailer that came out and there's a few that there has been, but I did only watch them once. I watched them quite a lot. <laughs> I watched them quite a lot. Did you? Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I, 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 only, I only watched them once. And that's by no means the only example of this. There's a mm. few others that, you know, the jokes didn't land in the movie because they already because, landed yeah, in the no, trailer. You're, you're, you're so, it's so true. I mean, and even the shock stuff, you know, the, the eat, King Shark eating the guy and ripping the guy in half. Yeah. Yeah. That was all there. That was all there. The, the, the Nobody reveal reacted. of the starfish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was kind of touching on one point. I just wanted to reiterate if I don't say it again. Oh, yeah. Again, just, my God, blood... Sp- and again, this is not related because we are jumping back and forth, but it did remind me in one of my notes. What I really liked about Bloodsport, there was a lot of talk about in the lead up to this when they, they used that line of, you know, he's he's in prison because he put Superman in, in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. And when you... That as a standalone line... I think annoyed quite a lot of DC fans. They were like, "How how how can he hurt the, the mighty Superman? And oh, how can other Superman? He's just a human." And so all boring, that got it. But oh. what I really liked about this movie was, um, 
Bloodsport was a fucking boss. Like he could take go toe to toe. What they at the end of this movie, I was like, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. I believe he could go toe to toe with Superman. Like he was a boss in every single sequence. He was like brutal and yeah, yeah, lethal, yeah. and he had all the gadgets and the ability to do it. Like he was by far the most inept. Like inept. Yeah, inept. Yeah. Inept. No, apt. 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 Oh my god. <laughs> he was one of the most capable. That was the word there I used. There we go. Use. Got there um, in the end. But I just, I, I, I just wanted to say that because it was a note that I was like, ah, he, he really filled you with. This guy's a fucking badass. He will kill you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the last question I have is, uh, again, it wasn't my original thought, was where do you go next? Where do we go next from this, Alex? Well, what do we do next? if it was a TV series, it'd be really easy. Mm. Yeah, you and know. I think there is one, isn't yeah, there, there, as the is Peacemaker, one. as the post-credit sequence suggests? There is one, yeah. I'd like to see the we- weasel rock up again because obviously one of the other post-credit sequences he didn't die on the beach. Yeah, I love that. He just walked I away. Love that. Very and funny. I love, I love how he kind of like ambled away. It's the way he moves. It's yeah. so obviously Sean Gunn. Yeah, he's yeah, just yeah. An amazing kind of gangly uh, physical performer, Sean Gunn. Yes, I love yes. him in everything because he just. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. He just got his. He found. He found his thing, and it's. it's he has. It's, it's wonderful it's to see. Brilliant. I read somewhere else a really cool what you do next with, and again, this is an original thought, and I've got to be, I, I, I can't remember who it was said this. What you should do with Harley Quinn, as I mean, Margot Robbie loves playing this character. She always will play this character. Yeah. Lean into that. Let, let's do a, a Loki style version of Harley Quinn. You know, you could, H, yeah, um, HBO Max should be going, well, Loki worked. Let's do a multiverse Harley Quinn where she goes and meets other Harley Quinns and she like liberates Arley, other Harley Quinns from the Joker. You know, like this Harley Quinn we've seen, let's keep her. And she travels through different dimensions, saving other Harley Quinns from other interpretations of the Joker. And you can throw in different Jokers that we've seen, you know, Mark Hamill's Joker. You could get some Jared Leto comment, you know, like kicking the shit out of Jared Leto's joke. Like... There's enough in the zeitgeist there to really lean into that. Yeah. And I think this movie cracked the Harley Quinn nut. I was never 100% convinced. There was always little niggles in the back of my mind, especially after Birds of Prey, because I think in some ways they kind of took a back step. There were some good parts, but also some of the bad parts of her kind of surfaced. Yeah. This was a really great... I'm like, I want to see more of that Harley Quinn. Yeah. No, she, um, was, and, she was amazing. Um, but hey, there we go. Any other roundup thoughts before we... Well, we, I mean, we talked quite a lot about it. We, we have, we? To, we have talked a lot about it. One of our longer ones, but it's a big movie. It is a big movie. To be honest, I loved it, but in a in a way, I just I kind of felt it was it was safe in a way. I don't know why, just because. Again, I, I said this. I said this before. The kind of post Deadpool sort of world. There's a lot of things that excuse this movie for existing because of other things that have come before it mm-hmm. and i did actually read a very very interesting article about how we might be kind of reaching the saturation point of uh superhero movies in the same way that the westerns did back in the day because after we got a whole bunch of you know white hat john wayne cowboy movies we got the spaghetti westerns which introduced the anti-hero and there were darker themes and then you got the man with no name trilogy and you know it was it took a hard look at itself and asked tougher questions and then the genre sort of ended and there's Mm. there's a lot of parallels in the current superhero kind of culture that we live in at the moment that that 
kind of echo that mm. and yeah, I'll, I'll send you this article because it is quite an interesting read. I, I don't think that is the case because I think Marvel have still got another like ten years of this shit planned, and oh, um, yeah, and but somehow I left this movie both loving it and being underwhelmed by it at the same time, and I mm. don't really know how else to describe that. It was just like, oh yeah, it did everything it says on the tin, and I loved everything that it says in the tin but it didn't really subvert any of my it didn't it didn't surprise me it didn't really yeah i don't think there were there were any real surprises like emotionally as an experience for me because i knew what was because you said right up top you knew what you were getting with this movie and you knew that you were gonna love it but i don't like that that's all i got Mm. that because that is all i got yeah i i I mean, to be honest, I think that's just as a good opinion of the movie as mine. I mean, I like, because I, I, mine is, it's what I wanted. It's what I got. It's this perfect home-cooked meal. It's like having my favorite piece of food put to me and it was tasty. It was enjoyed. And I go, yeah. And it reaffirmed my love of these characters, going to the cinema, seeing these things. But I can totally see your opinion. And I think the difference between you and me is that, like I'm openly just I just everyone's got their thing, don't they, mate? Yeah. Everyone's got their thing. Um, you know, you're you're a huge Star Wars fan, and there's I I, I will admit I will Star admit. Wars have to do things more for me than they have to do for you. Like you're you're starting watching a Star Wars movie at a higher level of enjoyment than I am. It's got to no, win a little a, bit more. That, for that me. is a hundred percent true. That is hundred percent true. I I more often than not, there's only been one piece of Star Wars con Star Wars content that I haven't unconditionally loved, and that was Rogue that was Rogue One. Um, it's one that I actually love the most. Yeah, but you're just wrong, and I've told <laughs> you many amazing. times. But it's, it's fine. Amazing. It's fine. But yeah, two thumbs up from me. Anyway, is it? Yeah, d- despite yeah, that, is it is two thumbs up. But I d- it's yeah. two thumbs up. It's very, it's it's very careful. Everything about this movie. I know again, our, our ratings is for music and movies, but it's also very carefully in with a lot of stuff. And this is one of these movies where the two thumbs up is so much, so much more reinforced because of the background, the character development, the acting, the production, the design. Um, the only thing that really did threaten it, as you said, is the trailers. And man, yeah, the more I've come away from it, I'm like, Poor, we got very close. Like, thank God the movie was so good because we got very, very close for the trailers actually dinging this yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Moving forward? Yeah, let's do it. Do you want to continue on that trailer talk that we just did for the Suicide Squad? Because I want to talk to you about an article that I read recently, and I don't know if it's true or not, and I'm going to be Googling it as if it's true, but apparently it's been reported that Spider-Man No Way Home might not have a trailer, and they might not, or there is one, but they might not release a trailer. Interesting. And I love this. I love it. I, I yeah. want them to do this. There's there's no movie you're going to get a better chance of it than another. You know, like, just 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 do it. Just just do this. Don't 100%. do a trailer for this. No, because did I not... Because did I not kind of pontificate on this? Again, while we were walking home. We do a lot of pontificating when we're walking home from places. 
mm. because I, I think I, I think I sort of suggested this that there, there's no way that they that they f- should feel forced to spend millions and billions on you know advertising budgets and things like that what is the actual incentive for sending out these trailers everybody and their dog is going to go and see the new spider-man movie exactly like i don't under i don't understand what the point is at this point i I understand the point for dc and suicide squad because i still think that's you know there is an audience for that whereas marvel and spider-man and let's just you know lump them into the same bowl even though they're, they're technically not the world is the audience everyone's gonna go and see that and i know that black widow didn't do amazingly well but there are a whole bunch of reasons why black black widow didn't do so well namely still pandemic related stuff yeah 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 sadly and i really don't think that spider-man i am um, kind of would suffer the same way no that's my gut i don't have any yeah. evidence to back that up but <clears throat> i mean to be honest though i, th- I think it's a little bit too i mean so there's something else just to throw out there is obviously sony has announced that it will be present at comic-con which is in the 23rd of august i mean i think to go back on what i just said i do think there probably will be one but i nah, hope that there's they're, not now nah, they're gonna be there for jumanji there's a, yeah but i but oh, i don't know because it makes me it, it takes me back to we we did chat about this last time but endgame they could have got away with no trailer for that. And that yeah. would have been wonderful. Yeah. But what's stopping them do that? Like, it's it's the it's the money to be made for those trailers. Like, there's got to be out there somewhere a, a formula that says, release this many trailers, you get this much more money for your yeah. movie. It, it, it's as simple as that. And we're seeing more and more directors, writers, producers getting more and more control of their movies. Yeah. But what they're doing is they're getting control of the movie. And the next step is to get control of the the soft things around the movie. Yeah. i.e. the 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 marketing for it. Yeah. Because again, a large part of marketing for movies, take Star Wars for example, isn't in the control of the directors. JJ Abram doesn't have a decision on what toys are released yeah, yeah, or yeah. what things are released. He doesn't really have a decision on the studios releasing the trailers for these movies. And I don't think it's a step too far in the future for directors to have contracts in place that not only allow them to decide things on what is they want for the movie, but also the before and the afters of the movie, i.e. how the audiences are first introduced to the movies. Definitely, definitely. Because I think, I think in recent memory, th- there's been a lot more artistry and production gone into actual trailers. Mm-hmm. Which I think has sort of led up to, you know, things being spoiled and, you know, having an inappropriate amounts of stuff, content, actual yep. content in the trailers. Because, yep. you know, I remember the, the trailers that I watched over and over again when, back, back in the day when these came out were the Lord of the Rings trailers. Do you remember when they came mm, out? Mm. And it w- they were just flashes of images that you had no idea what the context or anything about and there was just like a couple of like little lines of just you know doom and gloom sauron's coming blah 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 i'm thinking of the return of the king ones and especially i was rabidly hyped for return of the king as you you can imagine and there was like there wasn't even original lord of the rings music in it there was this 
generic uh choral work that's like used in so many different trailers yeah yeah uh, and that that wasn't relevant to lord of the rings at all and i, I look back at that trailer and gone man if they tried to release that trailer for a movie now it'd be a joke yeah it'd be an yeah. absolute joke because you, you've got trailers like well let's just call it how it is the first suicide squad trailer yeah like brilliant yeah. brilliant trailer brilliant yeah. advertising for yeah. for the, what ended up being a shit movie i go yeah i was still go as far that's one of the best trailers for a movie i mean no, it, absolutely yeah. and it's and, it, and it, it it reinforces that argument there's a lot of artistry that goes into that trailer but but then do you care more about making a trailer if it subtracts from the movie which we've mm-hmm. already said we felt happened with the suicide squad mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's a tri- that's a tricky balance. The other one as well was Logan. I mean, my God, the Logan oh, yeah, yeah. trailer was just Chef's kiss, and it and it and it and it did. It, that was the best example of a trailer because the movie, it, it it was it was a small chunk. It was a it was a slice of Parmesan, and the movie was the wheel of Parmesan. Everything around it was yeah, just yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Um, but I would go as far as to say that if from now on. I think we've learned all of our lessons now. I think we now know that if a director is directing a movie, let them direct the entirety of the movie. Let them direct how the information is drip-fed to the fans. Let yeah. them have control of when that is done. And obviously this it's steered through formulas and stuff. Let them control the pacing of information is how it's released. And obviously everyone's rabid fans for all this sort of stuff and you know things will slip through the gaps and whatever. But even just down to the aftermaths of this, and obviously we're getting this a large part in how films are being released onto streaming services, how long they're they're staying, and it's one of these ones. I mean, back to Spider-Man No Way Home. Sadly, I think we will get a trailer. Yeah. But that movie and the success of that movie, it's such a double-edged sword. Do you put... Anthony Gar- uh, Andrew Garfield and 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 Tobey Maguire in that trailer. Do you, do you think know they're going to be there? Do you know what? I don't think, I don't think that'd be an issue for me. I don't think, I don't think that's an issue for me unless, unless how it's presented in the movie is supposed to be a huge reveal. If it's just a natural progression through the movie and that's just like what the movie is about and it's not just like a pow here's andrew garfield yeah yeah, yeah. toby mcguire yeah. then actually i think it's fine it's fine to put that in the trailer because you're advertising what your movie is about mm. and i actually don't think that's a problem the the, the problems i have again i want to make sure i articulated it properly in in the main chunk of the episode here was putting whole pieces of like dialogue and jokes in it that just take the emotional relevance out of a scene yeah you know yeah um disrupting the the emotional experience of going through a narrative Mm, mm. and not plot points and characters and things Mm. like that because because i don't mind knowing what's going to be in a movie i mind knowing how the movie is going to if I know in advance how the movie is going to unfold, that makes the movie infinitely less interesting to me than already knowing what is in it. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, totally. Well, slightly moving on, there's been some unrecognizable photos of Christian Bale released for Ooh. Thor Love and Thunder, playing the part as Gore the Butcher. Um, 
I mean, set photos released. This movie's suffered from that quite badly, actually. I think there's been quite a lot of set photos released of this movie. And I, I think that James Gunn's... Um, I know that he's gone on to a couple of podcasts and he's very much been a bit of, you know, I'm I'm not really, he's not as bothered by it because it's kind of free advertising. And again, out of context, it doesn't really mean anything. Exactly. But again, we we talk about the the director gets control of everything. I think that information will help him make informed decisions to what is releasing and not in releasing the trailer. Well, this is a really good example of exactly what we were just talking about. Do we actually care that we know what Christian Bale looks like in this movie? Does that, does knowing what he looks like or that he's in this movie and who he is actually spoil this movie in the slightest? Mm. I don't think so. What I'm, the the only downside, I think the talking point here is I'm getting kind of Christopher Eccleston vibes from this. Um, (laughs) That's, that's kind of the vibe I'm getting or, um, Days of Future, or no, sorry, Apocalypse, um, bloody, 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 who's he, bloody, what's his face? Oh, Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. I'm getting that kind of vibe again, like over-the-top makeup, over-the-top costumes, and I could have cast anyone, I guess, couldn't you? Could have cast anyone, <laughs> I guess. However, you know, to play Devil's Avocado once again to that, mm. Josh Brolin did a good job as Thanos. He's a he's a big he's a big purple ball sack. No, again, but I, I disagree because I think you could have told that was Josh Brolin. I think you could have got you you knew that was Josh Brolin. Like if you've seen Josh Brolin of re- recent, you're I'm like yeah, that's him, yeah. that's him. Whereas Christopher Eccleston was totally unrecognizable. You could have put anyone in that role. Kieran Hines as well as another one was Steppenwolf. Like you could have just put anyone in there. Yeah. Um. Although you know, second, so- although second time through, Steppenwolf not yeah, so bad. That's, yeah, not, not no, so bad. Wasn't. It wasn't although, so bad. Although you needed four hours to pull it off, though. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> Alex, what? we're going to combine what we're talking about now and what you were talking about a second ago, because set Ooh. photos have been released. Ooh, please. Or is a set go- photo has been released. Take this, it away, my mate. Is this going where I think it's going? Are you talking about Lord of the Rings? Yeah, go for it. Do it, oh, man. I was salivating when I saw this. So, they've released not a set photo, but an actual production still from the first episode of the completed filming of Mm. the Amazon Lord of the Rings TV series. Mm. And I am so excited because you have to admit, my God, that's a beautiful shot, isn't it? It's beautiful, yeah. It is glorious. But looking at the lighting and the architecture, because there is a city kind of in the background. It's somebody, probably a high elf or, I don't know, wizard or somebody in a white flowing cape standing on a Mm -hmm. hill looking at a city and then with some very interesting features in the background which i'll get to but the lighting just like the sunbeams and the architecture of the city and stuff like that i i think this is they're trying to tie this in to the peter jackson middle earth yeah i think that's what a lot of people thought but and that's always been a bit of an open-ended question as does this is this set in the same middle earth or does it not and i think it does and that's very very interesting to me yeah i think that's very very interesting to me because there's no danger there's no danger of having many overlapping characters who you would have to like recast i mean there will be a galadriel i think Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. a much much younger galadriel so she doesn't have to look anywhere near close to kate Kate blanchett she can look a lot younger so you could recast her and i think galadriel is really the only character that really crosses over because maybe maybe elrond but elrond is still quite a bit younger than galadriel it really depends on when 
this story starts. And that actually brings me to the very interesting features that are in the background of this mm. um of this photo and that is the two trees that you see that there there's like two shining trees in the background. Yeah, yeah, I remember you, you I, I don't want to spoil it because you you've explained this to me. So I'll let you I'll let you explain it to, yeah, the, to so, the listeners. So the two trees and oh my god, I I've, I've forgotten the name of the bloody two trees. I'm going to have to I'm going to look that up which is really but whilst whilst you're looking up, I'll 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 keep talking because I think what you said to me was one oh, is it. is one is the sun and one is the moon or yeah. one's day and one's night. Yeah, so it's the, the it's the two trees of Valinor, and mm. so what what we get from that is that this photo is a photo of Valinor, and Valinor is another name for it's called the Undying Lands. Okay, and this so is where Sam goes at the end. Uh, of well, it's where Frodo goes. It's where Frodo goes. It's where Frodo goes on the, sh- on the on the ship, um, and. Oh, Sam does end up going quite a bit later after the events of the movie um, mm-hmm. and uh, after the events of the book as well, to be honest. Mm. Um, but the two trees of Valinor were basically the original sources of light in the world. And one is uh, made of silver light and the other of gold light, so the okay. sun and the moon. And basically, the, the two big bad guys, one of them is a big spider, uh, the mother of Shelob, and one of them is Melkor, who's the big bad guy, kind of like the bossed up version of Sauron. Sa- okay. Sauron, Sauron was his servant. Not, not Morgoth. Uh, same, same guy, different name. No, <laughs> okay. no, 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 no. Yeah, no. But t- you Mel- might. Yeah, what, yeah. What are the two names? What are the names? Mel- Melkor and Morgoth. Same, same guy though. Same yeah. guy. Same guy. Uh, this is how Melkor is my father's name. Please, it's Morgoth. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's the same. It's, it's the same guy. But I think that. That's one of the things I really love about Tolkien's Legendarium is that he he created all these different languages, and so therefore a lot of you know characters end up having a lot of different names. Gandalf has like Gandalf, three yeah. names in in Lord of the Rings alone. Big G, um, and so Gaza Gaza G Gaza White. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. This is crowning. Sorry, just say that again. So it was who was the villain? It was Shelob's mother. Shelob's mother, villains. which is Ungoliant, was the name. And of that. who was and who was the who was the goodie? Who's the goodie in this? Sorry, I'm, who's the goodie? Little, uh, yeah. Well, we don't Morgoth. No, he's not a goodie. So why is there two baddies? One for each tree. Kind of. Yeah. It's kind oh, of. Oh god. It's it's their it's their little scheme. It's like they they team up to do like some kind of dastardly plan, and it's kind of dastardly. It, it is like a bit of a dastardly plan. It's, the, it, the phrase "dastardly plan" with the Lord of the Rings. Like, they, those two phrases. No, no, no. It kind of it kind of it kind of is because there's this there's this jewel or set of jewels called the Silmaril, which is what the Silmarillion, the book, oh. the Silmarillion is is based on. And basically, those two bad guys, the big spider and the big S- the Silmaril. Yes. And how did so, they? What did the elm come from? Was it? Were they like packing the car up and they were like, "We've got everything. We've got camping chairs. We've got this." Is the Silmaril in? Yeah, the okay. Silmaril's in. Silmaril's I couldn't tell in. you. I couldn't tell you. But what <laughs> I can tell you is that I'd better wrap this up, or else I'm just going to get interrupted with more jokes. Uh, <laughs> because you're getting bored i can already tell Uh, (laughs) but basically the point the point of this is i think this is set at the beginning of the second age because the two trees of valinor get destroyed by these bad guys very quickly at the beginning of the second age which is very 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 interesting no same bad guys and i'm and i'm done you get on to the next thing (laughs) mate i don't know i genuinely i'm what i like most about this is 
it's it's you're you're like you're like the actual almanac of this it brings me much <laughs> comfort because i know that i'm going to be able to watch this movie and go who is that who is this in some ways do you know what i'd like to do because i know you can do this for netflix yeah i know that you can like watch things together as a team when this comes out can we do that can we like watch things and like have you either up on facetime or watch this together in the room because yes. that would be fun yes look at this look no, no, how no. much he's quite yeah. no, squirming no, no. with me in the room with you yes absolutely we can do that as long as i have <laughs> seen the episode by myself beforehand no we watched it we watch it together nah, for the first time no we do nah, we do i wouldn't ruin it why would i spoil it why would i spoil it for oh, you what about the tree because you're you and i'm me <laughs> that's why and the last little bit of news that i have which is a really exciting piece of news um igm are reporting that trey parker and matt stone have just signed a deal worth 900 million dollars that calls for that the again? pair 900 million dollars that calls for the pair to develop guess how many original south park movies guess how many guess Ooh, scrolling to find the text where you told me no i haven't told you this one i haven't how many come on guess oh, i'm sure you guess it's not like 12 or something 14 oh that's close you're not far <laughs> off you're not far but 14 original south park movies that will debut on paramount plus um, plus a new video game and the Comedy Central series has been renewed through its 30th season till 2027. Jeez. Uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone don't have to worry about money anymore. I don't think it's they safe have to for say. A, I don't think they have for a good long while, mate. If I'm being... But the thing, do, do you know the thing that I like about this is what they have created and what South Park has gone is it's it's gone far beyond four boys. They have created a platform of satire that will sustain, uh, that will sustain the comedy of everything that we have in the world. Observations, whether it's viruses, whether it's presidential elections, they're they've they're they're just going to be there now for yeah. us forever. Yeah, and actually, I think it. I've I've heard a lot of people being a bit like disgruntled by that because they don't necessarily like the political commentary. But I actually really love it. I've gotten, it's the best thing about I, it. I've gotten so much more into South Park since. Do you remember? Do you remember the season? Because they do kind of season long kind of things. They're like through the presidential one. Through stories. Yeah. But do you remember when Donald Trump got elected and there was this one viral clip of South Park that went that well went viral where Randy was in 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 like the scout hall where they announced it and then he was like, "What have you done, you maniacs?" Mm-hmm. And then in the background, mm-hmm. some guy just shoots himself in the head. And it just <laughs> so but it, funny. But it but it's just it's it's great because. I mean, I think what this says to me is this is this is just says this is now going to be a part of our life forever. Like this is going to be one of these shows that probably will eclipse Simpsons. It's going to eclipse any long term show. And we are accepting that this is now the acceptable level of satire that we should do. The, the thing that I love about South Park is it's totally unapologetic. And yeah. I love everything that these guys do huge fan of book of mormon and the more i listen to the book of mormon the more i'm uh, and the songs and that the more i'm like how are they getting away with this and the reason they're getting away with this is because they very intelligently promote my most favorite argument which is you can joke about anything yeah yeah. you can joke about anything and they are they're the silver bullet 
in America, it's it's more difficult. There's a lot more hot topics, I think, than the UK. I think, you know, rather than getting into all the, the politicals of why that is, I think as a base statement, you can. Yeah. They've just they've just broken through. They've just broken through what great. they say. does, and, and you have total faith that every argument that they take or every every joke that they make, they can back up. They're, they're not they don't do yeah. anything because they they can they can defend any joke that gets on South Park. Yeah. You have 100 percent confidence they can they can defend that joke. 100%. I love that. I love that. Um, so I'm more excited for that. Anyway, Alex, what do they have to do now? Right now, what they've got to do is get themselves onto the Apple Podcasts app. Find us on there. Rate us on there. Five stars, if you please. Make it a cheeky one. Please, mm. please, please, please. And uh, you can also leave us a cheeky little review. If you don't want to review us, you can tell us your favorite movie, your f- favorite soundtrack to a movie. We love to see, read, and hear all of all of it you can also find us on lots of other platforms where you like to listen to your podcasts like spotify and the acast app mm. and if you want to get more directly in touch with us we have an email address as well that is motionspod at gmail.com and you can also see us on the gram where we're starting some fun conversations and just rumbling on into them and whatever's going on in there. That's great. I don't actually have Instagram. I, I, I never... You, you're you Instagrammer, aren't you? You're no, the Instagram man of us either. We're there. We're there for you. We're there. We are. That's how much we care. There. And obviously, thank you very, very much to KTC Graphics Design, where I believe there's a small treat waiting in store. There is. If you go to our Etsy store, where she sells awesome movie prints for your They're walls, so for cool. decorating your walls, uh, you can enter the code MotionsPod20 at checkout for 20% off. Ah, do you know what I forgot to talk about in moving forward was the, um, the the films that made us. There's a new series for that out. And when you were talking about the film posters, the, the artwork for that is really cool. Oh, no, I'm, wait, you I'll, told, I'll you that told us about that last, last week. Oh, did I? Yeah, you did. Oh, God. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. Did you, ah! did you not hear that when you were listening listening to yourself editing last week? Oh, God, I probably <laughs> had to. Um, now, I'm, I might cut this bit out. I might edit this bit out. But next week, we we kind of did a little poll i think it was it was indiana jones or another movie to do next week but based on the fact that i think we continuing on the shark theme from king shark i wondered if we wanted to have a have a little have a look back at an absolute classic a john williams score to the movie jaws oh i thought you were gonna say like sharknado or something i was gonna say do you is that where we want to go to because that one's been requested a few times or do i edit this bit out and not put this in uh not locked in jaws locked in we're gonna do jaws next week i like it i like it a lot excellent Um, excellent so thank you very much for listening and until then we'll speak soon bye now all right guys ta-ta